And so that's good. And we're, we're glad you're here. I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving, uh, a time of uh, gratitude and, and being thankful. You know, there's two parts to Thanksgiving. There's the part where we're, you know, the be thankful part. Uh, it's, the, it's the gratitude part uh, where we remember, we reflect on God's blessings. We feel that thankfulness. And, uh, of course, we, we worship God and we thank him. But then the second part of that is when we give things. That's when we start speaking and sharing uh, what God has put in our heart. Uh, we take that thankfulness another step, right? And we broadcast that. We publicize it. We make it known. We talk of God's goodness. We tell others how much we appreciate them. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy both sides of that. And I hope you'll keep at least, uh, you know, that second part, really. We need to keep that alive through these weeks Leading up to Christmas, I think really this is a great time of year where Thanksgiving nurtures that gratitude, and I think gratitude naturally lends itself to giving, and so that leads us right into the, the spirit of Christmas and, uh, and the Christmas season. And of course, we as believers, right, we use all of that to worship God and to be thankful to Him and, uh, and to celebrate His coming, right? We, we do that. Now, I know I've I've seen posts on Facebook, and I'm reminded of different things in articles and other places you might read about what everybody else does with the holidays and what other God they might worship and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, uh, somebody asked me one time, should a Christian participate in all of these festivities when maybe their origin isn't really rooted in Christ? And should we be involved in that? I said, well, that's a good question. And the answer to that question is, it's up to you. How do you choose to see this? I said, but I'll tell you how I choose to see it. I take the path of the Apostle Paul, who on Mars Hill, when he was re re uh, referencing uh, the idols and the statues that the people worshipped, you know, they were very superstitious, and he said, this one that you have, this unknown idol, you know, to the unknown God, like in case you missed any, he said, this is the one I want to tell you about. And he preached Jesus and, and, and the, you know, the gospel. And uh, he used that pagan opportunity to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. Right? I don't know. Maybe some would look at that and say, boy, that's blasphemous. Maybe someone would look at that and say, that's unholy. I, I don't know. But I think, to me, that's the right way to reference that. I think, I think that was a, a situation where the wisdom of Paul caused him to see an opportunity to present Christ in a way they could receive it, right? And, and I look at that as uh, goodwill and good faith. I think he had good wisdom and good judgment to uh, seize that opportunity and present the gospel to those people. And so, hey, that's how I want to look at Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these other holidays. And you know what? Hey, so-and-so, whoever originated that, may not have intended for it to be a Christian holiday, but... I'm going to celebrate it as one. Amen. I'm going to use the opportunities around us, all the symbols of Christmas time. And I want to use that to represent and, and talk about Jesus and just make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the early New Testament church did? They just made much of Jesus. And you know what? Being a Christian doesn't have to be uh, that difficult. Now, look, some of the things we have to do can be hard, Right? But, but we can make it a little easier by just taking advantage of the opportunities that life presents to us to proclaim Christ. 
and who he is and how good he is. You know, this is a perfect season for that. So I hope that little perspective helped you out, maybe relieved some pressure. You know, we don't have the responsibility of correcting the whole world and, and all of that. There's, there's some wrongs that we're never going to make right. Uh, that's the Lord's job. He, he'll take care of that one day. And in the meantime, we're just going to make much of Jesus and celebrate him and be thankful and uh, have the spirit of charity and giving. And that's what this season's all about, really. And if, they, if we do that, I believe, I believe others will see Christ in us, and I believe it will bring glory to God. And that's what I want to do. And so I hope that uh, you'll join me, and I hope we'll make much of Jesus this season. All right, grab your Bible, if you would, and let's, take, uh, let's open the Word of God together to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. All right, I told you a little bit here, a little bit there, just announcements Sometimes everywhere, but they're all good. I'm excited about doing a little witnessing through these gospel tracks. I, I know that as a teenager, I, uh, the school that I attended, the Christian school I attended, was about 12 blocks from the house, and I would walk home. Well, I had the privilege of walking home with droves of public school kids because they got out at the same time we did. So as I walked home, by the way, I had the, also had the privilege of doing homework in every subject, every night, every day. <laughs> that was Christian school, right? Building character and all that good stuff. So I had this big satchel that I carried home with all my books in it. And because I had that satchel, I had plenty of room for some gospel tracts. And I remember walking home, I used to, I used to have them. I used to reach in my, my, my satchel pocket, you know, and, pull it out. Hey, man, hey, read this. Hey, read this. And I would give it to the kids as they passed me. Well, naturally, they were passing me because none of them had book bags. And, and the ones that did, they were nowhere near the size of mine. So uh, I was weighted down a little bit, and they were passing. And I would hand those out. And uh, what a blessing. And on a few occasions, I had some kids come up to me. Hey, man, you got any more of those? And uh, it was interesting. So on one occasion, I didn't have any more. And uh, so I, I was able to stop and say, you know, I don't have any with me, but let me, let me talk to you about it. And I was able to share the gospel with that young man because of what he read. And he was ready because of what he read. So that was really good. And so I hope you'll enjoy uh, getting involved in that. All right, James chapter 1, do you have your place? If you do, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading right there in James 1, verse 22 is where we'll begin. And we'll read down through verse 25. All right, so let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for this time of year. Many say it's the most wonderful time of year, and I would tend to agree. So, Lord, help us to have our own hearts right and ready, prepared to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, may we not only be thankful, but may we also give thanks. Not only express to you how thankful we are, but, but often to others, because really we fail there. We think good thoughts of people. We say we appreciate them, but we usually don't say why. Help us to do more of that, of the giving of thanks and the saying of those things that are in our heart and mind for those people that we really appreciate and whom you've used to bless us in many ways. Friends and family, neighbors, co-workers, and all. Lord, may we do better with that. And help us also to enjoy the the spirit of Christmas and giving, and may we make much of Jesus as we do. 
So bless this time of year and help us as we celebrate it. Lord, that we might give honor and glory to your name. Lord, we ask you also now to bless the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts. Be our teacher and guide as we read today. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Verse 22, James chapter 1. The Bible says there, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to preach a message this morning I've entitled Three Parts to the Christian Life. Three Parts to the Christian Life. And I want us to look at this passage and just dig a little bit of, I like to call them gold nuggets of truth. We're going to do a little gold mining today. And we're just going to bring out a little bit of what God has buried in this passage here for us. Three Parts to the Christian Life. Did you see them? As we look here, the Bible gives us clearly three things for us. And I want to share them with you this morning. And so, uh, let's look at the first one. <clears throat> the first one, I believe, is in verse 25. And if you'll notice there, it's, it comes from the word look or looketh. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty <clears throat> and continueth therein. Well, well, what is he talking about? Well, if you back up a few verses, notice in verse 23, he talks about a man beholding his natural face in a glass. What do we call that glass? Anybody know? A mirror, right? So we look in the mirror and, and we see ourselves there. But when we look in the mirror, there's something that we don't hear or see and we usually don't say. Think about it. Do we just look in the mirror and walk away? No. We always look in the mirror with a reason. Actually, it's a different word. We're not planning to reason as we look in the mirror. We look in the mirror with what I call intent we look in the mirror on purpose we're checking certain things and we're not just looking in the mirror but we're looking in the mirror in order to make some correction or improvement right so what do we look in the mirror for well ladies you may adjust your makeup or you may you know do something to your hair uh, guys you know we may we may straighten our tie uh, maybe it's uh, maybe we're checking to see if we got a stain on our shirt or something like that, or or did I did I button my collar back down, right? There are things we look for when we look in the mirror, right? And and when we look in the mirror, we look on purpose because we're analyzing in order to adjust. Isn't it interesting that Brother James uses that scenario to show us how we should approach the Word of God? The word look, think about it. When I see the word look and how it's used in this passage, it makes me think of the word that you may want to write down as part number one in the Christian life. It's the word learn. It's the word learn. Because you see, when we come to that mirror, we come with intent. And we're not just looking. We're looking in order to adjust or correct or improve something. The same thing should be true when we come to the Word of God. We shouldn't be just reading the Bible. 
We shouldn't be just listening to the sermon, just attending church, just going to Sunday school. Never should it be that way. We don't look in the mirror without any desire or any plan to fix something, right? We don't look in the mirror and then just ignore what we saw. I know you've probably seen some people that you think that's what they did, (laughs) right? Maybe there's some that just don't look. I don't know. But we look with intent. Hey, you know what? We We should learn with intent. We should look into the Word of God with that same purpose to correct what we see. We are looking to see what we find there so that we can improve on what we see there. And that's the idea that we come to the Word of God and that we, that, we, that we look in the Word of God. He talks about looking into the perfect law of liberty. And so reading the Bible should be like looking in the mirror. We should see something of ourselves and what God has for us to do. And we should look that way with the intent that we're going to carry out what God teaches us, that we're going to take action on what we learn. So we learn uh, this way by coming with that intent. You see, learning in the Christian life is, is, is part of the catalyst that helps us to grow and move forward. But here's the real catch. No one ever said this exactly like this to me as I was growing as a young Christian, but it's true. You only learn when you look at the Word of God with the intent to obey it. Hey, that's why someone can be in church for 20 or 30 or 40 years and not grow spiritually. It can happen. It does happen. That's why someone who's been in church for two years can outgrow someone who's been in church for 30 years. It can happen. It does happen. Because one grows and the other does not. How does that take place? You know, it's interesting. In the physical realm, growth is automatic, right? You eat, you sleep, you grow, right? And so you see families, they have children. The next time you see them, the children are bigger. And it's funny because if we haven't seen them for a long while, we still think of them the last time, however they were the last time we saw them. We still think of them as little. But then we see them now and some time has passed. Whoa, how my, how they've grown. Well, why? Because they've been eating. (laughs) You've been feeding those kids, right? That's what happens. Isn't it funny though? We can sit in church and we can hear Bible messages. You can even read the Bible at home and not grow. I guess it would be like chewing the food but not swallowing it not digesting it, not taking the nutrition from it. You know, that's what happens. That's that's what people do who do not listen, do not come to the Word of God with intent. They don't digest it. It doesn't help them. They don't grow. And the Bible does address that. It speaks of that in other places, a different sermon other than today, but a gold nugget of truth for sure. The first part of the Christian life is learning. We look into the mirror, and and when James gives us that analogy, that coming to the Word of God is like looking in the mirror, he uses this to imply personal application of what you see in God's Word. 
So when we see this passage and we, we, we hear Brother James teaching, we, we, without him saying it this way, we automatically understand that he's implying a personal application, that we're going to act on what we see and hear and what we learn. And isn't that the way it should be? That's the way it has to be if, there's, if it's going to produce growth in the Christian life. So here's the question for me and for you. When we come to the Word of God, when we, when we look into the Word of God, whether it's in, in a sermon like today or Sunday school or, or maybe a devotional setting when you're at home reading the Bible or maybe listening to a message on the radio or YouTube, are you coming with that intent? Here it is. Do you make it personal? Do you make it personal? Here's the reason why a lot of people fall out of reading their Bible. Because they read it like a newspaper. They're just scanning the page. They don't put themselves in the story. You know, when you read the Bible, you need to imagine what was it like to be David and step out there in front of old Goliath. When you read the Bible, you need need to put yourself in, in the shoes of those people. What was it like to be Adam and Eve in the garden and that old... That old tempter slithering around, that serpent beguiling. What was it like? What was it like to, to be Abraham and, and, and to believe God enough to, to take your son Isaac up on that mountain? Boy, that must have been difficult. He knew what was supposed to happen up there, right? God, where are we going? I don't, I, I'm going to show you. Just, just keep going and I'll show you. When, we get, when you get there, I'll tell you. That's hard. Maybe not for some people. I, I, some are different, wired differently than others. But I'm the kind of person that I, I like to know where I'm going to end up before I leave. And it's not just on a trip. If I'm going to a new place or if I'm going to experience something I've never experienced, I, I like to understand it first. Hey, tell me the details. Tell, who's going to be there? What's going to happen? Right? I want to know, I want to know all this. Don't surprise me. I want to know all this. How's it going to go? I want to know what to expect. I, I, want, to, I want to be prepared for, for what I'm about to be impacted with. And so many times I, I'll think through something over and over and over again to prepare myself for the event. Right? So, so I'm the kind of person that I don't like out of control things. I, I don't like uh, things that don't have a definite you know, path and a, and, and a, and a predetermined end. I'm not, I'm not the kind of person to get up and let's just, let's just see what we're going to do today. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out as we go. No, 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 no. I'm like, let's have a plan. Let's have a, a to-do list at least, right? Something, some kind of direction for where we're going. Have you ever taken a vacation without having a plan or no reservations? Just, hey, we're just going to hit the interstate and we're going to figure it out as we go. Well, man, are you going north? Are you going south? Are you going east or west? Well, I don't know. It depends. We're just going to, what? <laughs> I don't think I'm going with you. <laughs> you, you. You call me when you get there and let me know where you ended up, and I'll see if I want to meet you or not. <laughs> so, so, hey, think about that. But, you know, life's that way. And, you know, it, it must have been difficult for Abraham to just set out for a city whose builder and maker's God, and he don't even know how or where or when. Think about that. Now, I don't know. Maybe Abraham was the kind that just get up each day and figure it out as you go, and maybe that didn't bother him so much. But it would have bothered me because I put myself there as I read the story. 
And when you do that, then it makes you think of things you probably wouldn't think of otherwise. And then you have to say, well, God, I guess I need a little more patience, a little more faith. I need to be able to trust you enough to step out there when I have no idea where we're going to end up. Because, you know, that's, that's really how the Christian life is. We don't always get the map in advance, do we? The Bible says that, you know, the word of God is like a lamp to our feet. So, so we see in the Christian life, we see normally a, about far enough ahead to take the next step. And that's about it. And I guess it's because if we saw too far down the road of where God's taken us, we might not be willing to go. Lord, I don't want to go there, right? Think about that. Do you make it personal when you read the word of God? Do you apply it to your life? This type of learning is what increases awareness and brings you towards spiritual growth. So when you're looking in the word of God like a mirror and you're making it personal, this is what prepares you to grow spiritually. And you can't grow spiritually without it. It's a key component to the Christian life. Make sure you have that. Make sure you're looking. Make sure you're learning. Make sure it's personal. The next word is, I just wrote the word live. And it comes from the word doer in the text. He talks about being doers. The word appears in verse 22, be you doers of the word. And then it appears later, like verse 25, but a doer of the work, he talks about. Being a doer. Doers of the word. This is part number two. It implies the decision to act on what is learned. And it implies that that decision has already been made. Think of it. We are to learn and then we are to live. We live what we learn. But how do we do it? That's the question. Being a doer of the word implies the decision to act on what is learned has already been made. Think about that. So as you come to church this morning and we're encountering the word of God, has your mind already made the decision? Yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. Now, Lord, you just tell me what it is. Or do you encounter the word of God like this? Hmm. Well, you tell me, Lord, and, and I'll pray about it. Think about it. Which one is best? I'm sure there are times to pray about certain things. Well, actually, we should pray about everything. We should ask for God's guidance, his presence, his help, his blessing on everything we do for him. Because we need to do it in the power of the spirit, not the power of the flesh. Our motive should be right. As just, as just as right as our method and our message. Isn't that right? So we need to pray about everything. And I'm sure there may be some things that we need to stop and pray about to get clarity before we take the plunge. Because we do need to be certain God is asking us to do certain things before we do them. Like, like when Peter stepped out of the boat. I mean, that's one of those situations where you better know God is calling you before you step out of the boat onto the water. Isn't that right? Now God was. He said, Peter, come. It's okay 
to step out of the boat and walk on the water when God is calling you to do that. But any other time, it would be presumptuous, wouldn't it? And I hope you got some scuba gear. <laughs> because Peter found out you can sink. And by the way, he sunk even when the Lord called him, didn't he? So think about it. Yeah, there's times to pray. But, but we should not be praying to decide if we're going to be obedient. That's the wrong kind of prayer. As a matter of fact, that indicates that we have the wrong kind of heart because our heart should already be inclined toward obedience to the Lord. That decision should already be made. And when we come to the Word of God and the decision to obey has already been made, hey, I'm telling you, that really does make the Christian life a lot easier. When the decision to obey is already made, have you made that decision? Lord, the answer is yes. Now tell me what you want me to do. Isn't it funny? Somebody will say, hey, would you do me a favor? And what do we say? Depends on what it is. Right? If you don't know the person or you don't know what they're going to ask you, then you might preface your answer with that. Well, it depends on what it is. But you know, we ought to be close enough to the Lord that we don't need that kind of preface. David said this about the Lord. He said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hey, I'm telling you, those aren't comforting tools. But David was comforted by those tools because he knew the hand that held them. Wow, that's deep. And you know, it do us good once in a while to go a little deep ourselves so that we can add some depth to our own Christian life. We've got to get to the place where we say, yes, Lord, the answer is yes. Now tell me what you want me to do. When we come to the word of God like that, oh man, that opens the floodgates for what God wants to reveal to you. How does God reveal great things to someone who hasn't even decided if they're going to follow Jesus yet? Think about that. You know, we want God to show us all of the big things of his will. Yet we haven't decided the small thing. We want God to show us things like living life as a missionary, but we don't even know if we're going to church next month. Wow. So we can't get the cart before the horse, right? We, we need to come to the word of God with a mindset of obedience. And when we do that, we become a doer of the word. So here, here's what I want to ask. Do you have to decide if you're going to follow what you hear or what you learn? Or has that decision already been made? That's a, that's a personal question. Write it down. Think about it. If you make that decision in advance, you're on better footing to follow Jesus. You're on a faster track to spiritual growth. Learning speaks of spiritual growth, but living what you learn speaks of personal spiritual growth. It takes it to another level. This type of immediate action becomes the catalyst for personal and spiritual growth in your life. Consistency sustains growth and stability over time. 
And this is why you look around and some Christians just seem to have it together. They seem to be walking with God and they know what they're doing. It's not because they're better than you. It just means they've made up their mind. The decision's been made and there's been some consistency over time. And after a while, it becomes aware to others who are looking on. Oh, well, this person, man, their, their, their character is pretty set. Right? Their reputation, what they're known for is following the Lord. Right? And, and, and it becomes apparent, doesn't it? And the Bible talks about that, how that you're profiting from God's word becomes apparent to others who are looking on in your life. A great point. But this is how it happens because we become doers of the word. We make our decision ahead of time. Yes, I'm, I'm like the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And we begin to live what we learn on a consistent basis. And while we're doing this, we may not even realize the change that is occurring as our life develops more and more into the Christian that God wants us to be because we're learning continually. And right behind that, we're living what we learn. We're practicing our faith, putting it into action. The third word is that I think of is not in the text, but the idea is there. I wrote the word lead. So we're going to learn and then we're going to live and then if we're following the will of God for our lives, the next word would be the word lead. It comes from the word work in the text. It's in verse 25. It talks about being a doer of the work. Doers of the work. This phrase implies steady commitment. It implies involvement and belonging. So here's the question. Do others see you this way? You know, when other people look at your life, they have what I call the sideline perspective. All right, I got that from sports analyzers, okay? The sideline perspective. What is that? Well, some people call it the armchair quarterback. What's the armchair quarterback? The armchair quarterback is the person who knows every play exactly as it should have been executed. How can they know that? Well, because they call the play after the play has happened. Have you ever noticed it's easy, right, when something has ended after the fact? It's easy to look back and see what you should have done. Well, that's because you already know the results. You already know the results of what's done, and that's why you can look back with ease and say, well, you should have done this. But can I tell you, even that is speculation. Because if we could rewind time, and you could go back to the beginning and do it the smart way, you still can't predict the reaction that would occur. So let's just put that in the context of sports. Okay? The quarterback calls the play. The play's carried out. And, and we, we, we don't make the first down. The pass is incomplete, whatever, right? And so the armchair quarterback says, well, you should have thrown it to, or you should have called this play, or you should have ran it, or you should have whatever. So the smart play, we rewind time. We go back to the hike, okay? We're in the huddle. The play's called. The ball's hiked. Boom. We call the smart play, but guess what we still don't know? We don't know the reaction of the other team members. 
All right, so this time you try to run the ball instead of pass the ball, like the armchair quarterback says you should have done in the first place. But they didn't know that this, this guy over here, this defensive end, was going to follow and be right there. And they didn't, they didn't anticipate that he's faster than the running back. And he catches him and tackles him, and you still don't make the first down. Isn't that right? Hey, nobody's a know-it-all. And that's why we have to be very careful about being the armchair quarterback. Be very careful about calling the plays after they happen. It makes you a great critic, but a horrible judge. That's why Jesus said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We need to judge based on the facts, not on the appearance of things. When we don't have all the information, then we can't make the right decision. So, the people who are looking on from the sidelines are the ones who can see all these moving parts. And sometimes they have the best view. It doesn't mean they have all the information, and it doesn't mean that their criticism or, or, the, or, or, or their correction is always right. But it means they see the field from a different view because they're on the sideline, and they can see the both sides and what, what's happening and what, what they're doing. Whereas, if you're a player on the field, you only see a portion Right? And there's things blocking your view, players, if you will, right? So you can't see where everyone is at any given time. It's a little harder for you. You're also under the pressure because the ball's been snapped, the clock's ticking, people are moving, there's moving parts, and there's pressure. Because of that, the players don't always have the clarity that those on the sideline have who are not under pressure. You see what I'm saying? Life is like this. And sometimes you and I are under pressure to make a decision, to do a certain thing, to, to, to meet that deadline or whatever. And sometimes people on the sideline are watching us in this game of life, and they're watching how we call the plays and how we carry them out, okay? And they're analyzing. And they're, they're coming to conclusions themselves, People who have the sideline perspective, the question is, do they see you? Do they see you as a doer of the work? Right? Are you a team player? Are you doing the right things? Do they know that about you by what they're observing you do in life? Because now you are, you are leading. Now, people don't always think of themselves as leaders. But this is where leadership actually begins. The person who has looked and they've learned because they looked with intent. And they have lived, right? Because the decision was made in advance. I have decided to follow Jesus. They have become doers of the word, consistent over time. When that takes place, those who are on the sideline begin to recognize them as a player. At that moment, they begin to lead. Leadership begins here because at this level of steady commitment, 
You are leading by example first. But then you are leading also by influence. Even if you're not in a position of leadership. You know, the problem about leadership is you don't get to choose who you influence. You only get to choose what kind of influence you will be. Because you never know who's watching you from the sidelines, from the grandstands of life. You never know who's got their eye on you. And you are influencing them without even trying. Because we do, don't we? We choose who we listen to, who we believe, who we trust, who we want to be like or follow. We choose that. And somebody could be choosing you without you ever realizing it. They've never asked you to sign their Bible. They've never asked you to pray with them. They've never asked a word of advice. But they're watching you like a kid reading a Superman comic. That means you have leadership then in their life. You have the power of influence, not over just your choices and your actions and your reactions, but theirs as well. You're influencing that. So the question then is what kind of example are you going to be? What kind of influence will you provide since you don't get to choose who you will influence? What kind of influence will you provide? Now, eventually, this type of lifestyle will lead to a leadership position because that takes us to Matthew 28, 20, right? The third part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. The problem is we think of teachers like me today being up in front of a classroom. Oh, that's a teacher. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, not always. There's a lot of teaching that takes place outside the classroom. There's a lot of teaching that takes place from someone who's not called teacher. There's a lot of teaching that occurs in life from people who think they're just living for themselves. But in reality, they're influencing others who are watching. They are a teacher also. Isn't it interesting? Matthew 28, 20 doesn't say teaching them to know. It says teaching them to observe. That word observe doesn't mean to see. It means to carry out. It means to live. Teaching them to live the word of God. That's, that's, what the, that's the idea of Matthew 28, 20. We're teaching others how to live for Jesus. And listen, that doesn't just happen in Sunday school. That doesn't just happen on Sunday or Wednesday night. We put a lot of emphasis on our church services and our Bible schools and our programs and, and the youth activities and all that. But listen, there's a lot of things that take place in between those where a lot of teaching is, a, is occurring. We were talking about discipleship one time, and I said from the pulpit at the church I pastored at the time, I said, what if we took a new Christian and sent them home with you? That's our discipleship program. You want to learn how to be a Christian? Go home with them. Just do everything they do. <laughs> Got your attention yet? If you're a conscientious person, that has to make you pause and think, wow, wait a minute, whoa. Could my life teach somebody that, really? Man, let me make sure, let me think about this. 
hey, is there anything in my life that would teach them something that's not Christian, not a follower of Jesus? Never think about that. Right? Because we teach by example. We teach by what we live. So if we really want to serve well, if we want to grow in the Christian life, we have to look at the Word of God. We have to, we have to learn. We have to come to the Word of God and look with intent so that we are learning with each encounter of God's word, we learn. We take away something. And then we have, to, we have to be doers, as the text says. We have to live what we learn. He started off the passage in verse 22 by saying, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. What, what does that produce? Deceiving your own selves. Hey, you know, there are some deceived Christians. Did you know the apostle Paul was one? He thought he was doing God a service by persecuting and killing Christians. He was wrong. He was very sincere, though, but he was sincerely wrong. You can deceive yourself because, you know, it's possible. We have these video games, and we call it, what do we call it? Virtual reality. Man, it's getting so good that it seems real, don't it? But it's not. So they call it virtual reality, where it's almost real. It's like as real as it can be without being real, you know, virtual reality. But hey, you know, I'm a, by the way, can I say this about gaming and game systems and all that? Where are the Christian programmers? Man, we need some godly Christian companies that would put out some good gaming content. Hey, instead of cursing the darkness, let's turn on the light. I'm telling you, there are games that aren't fit to be put on the shelf like Grand Theft Auto and junk like that, where they're stealing cars and shooting police officers. And Listen, our children have no business playing games like that. Who is the idiot that produces that stuff? And then you want to co complain about what happens in society after they grow up on that trash? Hello. That's some common sense right there. But you know what? Instead of me preaching that all the time, where are the Christian gamers? Who's going to start a Christian video game company and, and produce a game that would, that would produce some valiant, virtuous men and women in our society who would grow up respecting other people, standing up to the bully, of course, but doing what's right? Where are those games? Hey, you know, we could have video games that could teach kids a trade. And by the time they grow up, man, they could know how to do something with masonry or carpentry or, or, or any other craft or trade. Man, you could, you, could teach, uh, you could teach them about courtrooms and documents and all kinds of things while they're young and playing something fun. We could be so productive through this venue, but we're not using it. Christians have finally awakened, and in the last decade or so, it seems like they've really gotten in gear about producing Christian movies. Hallelujah, it's about time. We're way behind the curve. God help us. We're supposed to be lights in the world. If we can have Christian movies, then we, bless God, let's have some Christian video games. Any gamers listening? Right? Video games, I don't, I don't even know how to play them, much less make them. But you know, somebody does. And somebody should. Maybe God's calling you to be a, a Christian programmer. Get out there and put some good stuff on the shelf. Amen. And we need that. 
By the way, we need some Christian politicians, senators, and congressmen. We need Christian congressmen and women. We need Christian congresswomen. Did I say we need Christian congressmen? Did I say that? We need Christian congressmen. Do you know that? We need some God-called people to go to Congress and show them how a Christian does politics. We bring values to the table. And we don't do things that go against those values. That's what's getting our country in a mess. We put profit above people. And all that does is create problems. We created a problem, now we've got to fix the problem. Well, they love that. Hello, well, that's my rant for the day. What am I talking about? I'm talking about God using our influence in the world. Because we are supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's get at it. Let's get busy. Boy, we have our work cut out for us. Look around. There's much to do. Much to do. I could curse video games, but that would be the wrong sermon. I could curse politics. That would be the wrong message. What we need is Christ in all of these areas of life. We need Christian doctors. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian journalists. We need Christian... Well, listen, why, why, not, why can't there be a Christian news agency that's involved in true journalism that reports the facts and lets you make up your mind? Isn't that what journalism is supposed to be about? Hello. God help us. You know, for, many, for far too long, preachers have been guilty of of trying to call everybody to the ministry. And you know what? The real ministry is out there. You want to you go in ministry? Become a congressman, okay? You'll, you'll have a mission field in front of you. Become a Christian journalist and see where that takes you. You have opportunity to shine for Christ in a dark world. Become a Christian businessman. Open a business and praise God with it. Honor him with your profits and your influence in, in the community. And put good products on the shelf that bless people and, and glorify God. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Follow God's calling for your life. People say the highest calling of the land is to preach the word of God. That might be the highest privilege. But look, the highest calling in your life is to do what God called you to do. And if God wants you to be a Christian secretary or a Christian businessman or a Christian doctor or chemist or whatever, then that's the highest calling for you. Be what God wants you to be. What talents has he given you? What personality has he given you? What background has he given you? What spiritual gifts do you have? Find out what those are. And hey, you ever lined up fence posts? They, they point in a direction, don't they? And all of those things in our life do the same thing. They give us direction to where God is leading us, where he would have us serve. And it starts to make the, the decisions clearer. It helps us, doesn't it? Well, I hope this message is helping you to look with intent so you can learn from God's word, to live with your mind made up. Lord, the answer is yes. Just tell me what you want me to do. And then to lead with a consistent testimony that just sets an example and points to the Lord because you never know who's watching you. You never know. But God has given us all the privilege to participate in all these things. We are a working, moving part of this. And God is building a kingdom. And God is reaching people. And he's doing it through us. I listened to a message over here on the way over this morning 
by Adrian Rogers, and he said, you know, God, God made us, but he didn't want servants. The angels are better servants than we are, and he's right. He said God didn't want scholars. That's not why he made us, to be a scholar. We have some men and women who, who, who may fit that category. <clears throat> Think about it. What does God want? God wanted some people to just be with him. God wanted us to walk with him and talk with him. He wanted companionship. And you know what? We learn through the story of Jesus and the disciples what God does with that companionship. Because the Bible says in Mark 3, 14, that he called the disciples to be with him. And then what? Then he sent them forth. And in their case, he sent them forth to preach. But God might send you forth to start a family. God may send you forth to start a business. God may send you forth to use your talent. He may, he may have you go into politics or, or, or social work. He may have you uh, work in the legal field and represent clients you know, that, who need somebody to stand up for them. Wherever God calls you, that's where you go. That's where you serve because he has fitted you, he has gifted you to serve well in that path. And when you find that and you line those things up, that is when you'll be the most effective and bring God the most glory when you do his will. Three parts of the Christian life. Learn, live, and lead. And all of these bring glory to God when we do them well. Let's bow in prayer. Father, how we love you this morning and how we pray you'd use us as we walk through these steps. Lord, it's not like we take these steps once and then they're past us. We're continually involved, albeit on different levels, in this process of these three steps, learning, living, and leading. It's like a spiral that never ends. And as we take this journey and participate in these, we're ever maturing and deepening our faith and also our influence and opportunities. And Lord, as we do that, we ask for your presence, for your help and blessing, and we pray, Lord, that it would bring you glory. So help us, Lord, in these things. In Christ's name we ask.